Hi, and welcome to the IBS Views podcast series. I'm Sunira Kolostiak, and today we are discussing the subscription economy, as well as buy now, pay later with Josipa Majic, the CEO and founder of Revuto. Jos, welcome to the podcast. Let's start with an introduction to the company you've founded. Who and what is Revuto? So Revuto is a fintech startup aiming to be your one solution for all recurring payments. So it's really an app that we've designed and made with the purpose of putting the control back in the hands of consumers. In the current state that we're in, in this entire subscription economy, there's really an interesting exponential growth of things that went from being a transactional revenue or from one-off purchases to being these small subscription-like installments. And we really designed and built Revuta with the purpose of making it clean, simple, and easy for you as a consumer to control your expenses. So the proliferation of the subscription model, what is the subscription model really? What are the benefits and what are the risks to the consumer? Mm-hmm. So as we call it, it's really the subscription economy. And what's interesting is not only kind of the operational change that it brought to companies, which is going from, for example, selling one-off licenses to the classical example would be software, and then instead changing it to these monthly recurring subscriptions, which allow you to pay as you go as you use the service. What's interesting is really the underlying principle of why this is happening. And the short version of that would be simply investors are valuing and rewarding companies that have recurring revenue much more than they do the ones that have transactional revenue. So an example would be if you're the exact same company selling software, but you do it on a license, you would get a much smaller multiple on your revenue, so your final valuation, which would be typically anywhere from 1 to 3x. But if you're selling it as a subscription, it jumps all the way to being 10x, even 20x, and it goes on and on. So really what's happening is that investors are disproportionately valuing companies that have subscription revenue. And because of it, all companies, both big and small, are going and migrating to the subscription model, both the ones that should do it and the ones that should not do it. And what's happening as a result is that we're living in this subscription economy and the fatigue and the burden that is being laid on the back of consumers, it's starting to get real. And really the struggle is real with subscriptions. Yeah, so you kind of touched upon some of the risks already related to subscriptions, but if we look closer at them, how do these risks affect people differently? Are there any demographics that are particularly negatively affected by a subscription economy? Absolutely. Um, we have two main customer groups that we really track and almost obsess about, and we really want to make their lives easier. The first group would be Gen Z. So these are young kids that typically consume most of their entertainment through subscription models. The most popular being Twitch for gaming streamers, but also services like Spotify, Deezer, Netflix, HBO Go, and similar. Um, And what's happening there are two things. One is that first we start from the disposable income that Gen Zs have, which is not predictable and consistent as us adults have, but it's really they're living out of inconsistent pocket money, which sometimes you have a lot and then sometimes you really have almost nothing. So it's all about managing that last, whether it's 300 or 
even 30 pounds, euros or dollars to manage your cash flow more effectively. The second thing that is happening is that there's a profound seasonality effect with subscription models and especially entertainment for that demographic group. So for example, right now at the moment, um, there's a show on Netflix, which is really popular, but there's another show on HBO Go um, that's really popular as well. What's very often happening with these consumers is that they don't want to have the subscription full year around because they don't want to consume it on a day-by-day basis, but instead they want to binge on these shows and on these entertainment contents when they arrive. The moment when they stop arriving or when there's kind of an inflow of different type of content, they're simply not interested. So for Gen Z, it's all about managing both the unpredictable cash flow and the seasonality of entertainment subscriptions. A different demographic group that we're also quite focused on are millennials, and especially millennials that use professional services, typically bundled in a SaaS offering, so software as a service. And the demographic that we really closely look at are freelancers, solopreneurs, and young professionals that use a range of tools, mostly for development, design, and for marketing. And what's happening there is they also have a profound seasonality effect. So what's happening, there's a bunch of new tools being launched every month, every quarter. Most of them want to try out all of the new offerings. But what's happening is that instead of using them the full 12 years around, they mostly use it when they do project delivery. So on a project per project basis, which ends up really decreasing from 12 months that you pay for to using it only once in a quarter, but very intensively, or using it once every couple of months, also very intensively. Uh, So the problem with millennials is that they use really a wide array of these professional staff tools, but the seasonality is very profound and they don't see the benefit of paying fully around if they only use them on a project by project basis. So then as Revuto, how do you help these Gen Z and millennial users break up with the subscriptions? Mm -hmm. So our model is quite simple and we've designed it to be a sort of embedded finance dream, if you will, which is very simple and easy on the surface, but quite robust and sophisticated under the hood. So the way we design the app is for you to spend really the minimum amount of time within the app. And every time your subscription is due, you get a simple notification the same way you do with an alarm clock. And it says Netflix wants to charge X and Y. You have an option to block, snooze, or approve within seconds. Blocking means that you don't pay and you don't consume the service this month. Approving means you both pay and you're allowed to use it this month. And snoozing means you're essentially delaying that uh, decision for a certain amount of time, which you can insert from being 24 hours up to a couple of weeks. Now, there's another risk that you have been vocal about and that you and I have spoken about before which is the buy now, pay later schemes and the role they play in driving increased spending among younger people and driving them towards debt. Do you want to explain your views on that? Absolutely. So it has something to deal with with my previous role and with my research hat on. So in my previous company, it was a company dealing with biometric research and consumer insights derived from gathering biometric data. And the way that it works is essentially we collect and analyze a range of biometric data sets such as 
EEG, ECG, facial coding, and a range of others in order to gauge the implicit sentiment of the consumer. And we did a lot of studies on fintech and especially the younger demographics, so millennials and Gen Z. And the quick summary would be, we know for a fact that these companies have learned how to, in a way, hijack the short attention spans and the need for, as we call it scientifically, high arousal and low valence content online, uh, which would essentially mean that especially younger Gen Z consumers really don't have the capacity needed to understand what are the implications of buy now, pay later schemes. So what's happening with them kind of on a biological or physiological level is that they get really excited. They have very little knowledge and awareness of what are the long-term implications of such payment. And because of the way that they consume apps such as Instagram and Snapchat, which is all about capturing that instant gratification when it's occurring, that model just seems like a natural extension. So they get excited about a product. It's so easy and frictionless to buy it online, to don't go through any hoops, and you just get it. You just get it the next couple of working days. Um, And it's very difficult for them to process what are the long-term implications of really having to go through and deliver on all of those payment installments that you just committed yourself to. So uh, we would say in summary that for some age brackets and the younger ones, especially Gen Z, are definitely within that category. It's borderline questionable ethics on how much more frictionless, easy and instantly gratifying should we make these buy now, pay later schemes? Because as they are right now, they're very easy and very accessible. um, And it's questionable how much of a disservice we're doing for that generation. So is there any advice that you would give, especially to younger people and people in general looking to get the most out of their money when it comes to both subscriptions and buy now, pay later? Absolutely. So the absolute first advice would be to get really informed on two fronts. One are your consumer rights and the second is all of the tools that are both already available, but also that are being built that might help you to mitigate a lot of these effects that are happening. So on the subscription front, I would say subscription as a model has a lot of very good benefits. Um, the barrier to entry of, for example, getting a very highly polished and quite exquisite, uh, let's say, design or development tool is much lower. Ten years ago, you would have to get a lump sum and pay it right away to get the license. But right now, you can start using it at a relatively small um, monthly installment. The challenge is, how do you then make sure you track all of these small monthly payments that are happening? And then how do you get a good grasp of what that means for your personal finance? I would say informing yourself on what are the rights that you have. A classical example would be people sign up on free trials. And when they extend, they simply, A, they don't know that the free trial has extended. B, they have no intention of using that service. They can make sure to reach out to customer support or customer success lines and ask for a refund. So there are these quite simple and obvious things which you would be shocked on what percentage of people actually do that because the problem with especially the generations that we focus with our research on, which are uh, millennials and Gen Z, they don't have the patience to do a lot of these things. Oftentimes they'll decide that, you know, it's not worth bothering. They have a lot of things on their plate as it is. They'll do it later. And then later ends up being never 
and the subscription keeps lingering on on that account for months and months to come. So first is knowing your rights as a consumer. So you're able to break up from these things whenever you want to. But the second is putting realistic uh, limitations and then finding the tools that support those decisions. Uh, one example of, of what we do at Revuto, which is also helping consumers to manage these landscapes a bit better, is, for example, you're able to invite your friends on Revuto in order to securely and within the terms and conditions, so within these family and business packages, to swap passwords and by that essentially monetize and squeeze that extra of your subscription. So an example would be you might have Netflix and your friends have HBO Go. When you have a show that you want to binge together, you can just swap subscriptions for that given month and enjoy both services. And these are some of the things that you're already paying for. So you already likely have a family account, but it's either underutilized or you simply don't pay enough attention to that. So uh, really doing your research on what are the available tools that can help you manage that is kind of doing half of the work. And going back to Revito again, but looking to the future, you're launching your application in March. Can you tell me what we can expect from that and a bit about what you're hoping to achieve this year? So our app is completely free if you're a consumer and you want to manage up to three or four subscriptions, depending on the localization. But that's the average amount that consumers have for their personal purposes. So it would likely be type of Netflix, Spotify account, and perhaps a Twitch or one professional tool. So without paying anything extra, you get to block, snooze, or approve, and you get to swap with your friends in a seamless way. If you're a young professional, if you're a solopreneur or a freelancer or a business owner, essentially doing activities that yield a certain financial return, and you manage up to 15 subscriptions of professional services, then you get to pay a very small subscription in order to manage those in a seamless way. Uh, one of the main things that we're working on is Revuto AI. So our CTO, Marco, has been working as a head of machine learning and AI at Intuit, working on software like QuickBooks and Mint for the last 10 years, having more than 20 patents on his name and several peer-reviewed published white papers. So one of the things that we're working on is how do we best advise you as a consumer on what are the likely subscriptions that you can need and that you can leverage, especially in terms of the free trials and the so-called grace periods, and how do we best help you to manage your disposable income that's dedicated to the subscription economy. The grace period that I mentioned is an example would be if you're using G Suite, so the Google service for email and for calendar Essentially, if you don't pay up to 45 days, depending on how you're classified as a user, you get to still use and enjoy the service. And they offer this under the so-called grace period. But knowing uh, what your grace period is and how that changes based on what service are you using. For example, Netflix doesn't have the grace period, but some other services do. Managing all of that and managing what happens with your data after that. So do you get to download your data, for example, from G Suite? And when should you do it? That's all managed through a Rebuto AI, which we will be launching in the Q2. So one more thing. We've discussed the benefit for the consumer and the B2C approach. 
But what about B2B? Have you considered launching an API or plugin for other financial services looking to help their users manage subscriptions? Absolutely. We actually are uh, launching an API as well. And one of the reasons why we did that, they're twofold, really. One is we've been approached by banks that really see this as a very big issue. To give you an example, one of the most common and highest growing chargebacks in the financial industry are actually subscriptions. So what's happening is that, and this is also a finding of the research I've done in my previous company, which is the biometric research one, one of the most horrible parts of every consumer experience within a mobile app is when you see an unapproved expense. And when that unapproved expense is actually a subscription that's been lingering for, let's say, a year, maybe two years, that makes it even worse. So what's happening from the bank's perspective is that an individual user will then call up their bank and their bank support, trying to look up who that merchant is and what that service was for. And they ask for chargebacks. And that has really started to become a big problem for banks, not only from a perspective of the consumer experience, but also just operationally from a support perspective. You have to serve all of these requests. And depending on who the demographic is, especially if they're perhaps an older generation, they don't even know when they subscribe to a free trial, when they extended. So it really turns out to be a bit of a nightmare situation. So one of the highly requested features is, can we make this an API? so that they can offer similar or same capabilities within the existing mobile app. So without compromising the brand or the consumer experience that they already crafted throughout the years. And the second example is that we've seen a couple of, let's say, um, not competitors, but services that do something similar, perhaps in different industries, that made quite a good, I would say, market success out of simply leveraging the existing bank portfolio and just selling them APIs for services. So on one side, there's a demand from banks. and the other side, there is validation from other startups that this model works quite well and is actually a good and elegant way to roll out services to perhaps demographics that are slightly unusual to do consumer acquisitions on, for example, uh, perhaps older generations, but also some pockets of the market that you just don't have access to, for example, traditional small and medium business owners, and really just the demographics where banks are much better at both acquiring and nurturing the relationship with that customer segment. So that's why we're, yes, the short answer would be yes, we're preparing an API and we have a very interesting list of banks that um, are eager to use it. Perhaps like the one thing that is also a very often question that we hear, especially with the current market trends is, for example, Revolut has launched a service that allows you to identify subscriptions and to block them. And Monzo has a service to block a merchant. Um, and people often ask us, you know, is, is that a competition? Uh, but in fact, all that it really does is these neobanks, they have this mostly what's called a super app strategy, which is they try to do a lot of features at once, but they don't really follow through on the actual feature. So what they're doing is exactly what's happening right now is they're really educating the market. And what's happening is that we see a large influx of organic growth through our websites simply by them launching these services. So that's kind of the one thing that we see on the market that's also quite interesting. So I would say the subscription economy is here to stay, whether that's good or bad. Um, that's not something we get to decide on. But 
solutions for the subscription economy will be coming both from new banks, from new startups, and also even from partnerships with traditional banks. So hopefully a year from today, we'll have a lot more tools and not only the subscriptions on the market. Thank you very much.